Welcome to another podcast in this podcast called Sparkcast. We are your hosts. This is going really poorly. Anyway, <laughs> hold on. Let me start that. Let over. him hang himself. <laughs> All right. Edit. Start here. Welcome to another episode of Sparkcast. And today we've got Star Sammy. <laughs> I've used Thomas. that one before, but I don't care. And this is Sean. And together, what are we? Sparkcast. Sparkcast. <laughs> You know, when I first was wondering, I was like, did we record the first audio adventure already? And then I realized I had forgotten all about it. Like, it was not memorable enough. It wasn't until I sat down on my chair on the computer. I was like, oh, yeah, they didn't shoot people into a volcano. And that's all I remembered. I guess we kind of feel the same way because I'm trying to I'm struggling to figure out what exactly (laughs) you're referring to. (laughs) Absolutely not memorable. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's see if this next episode is just as memorable. Are you all ready for a Bumblebee-centric audio adventure? Another one? Bumblebee to the rescue. Where's the story? (laughs) Resting quietly in their earthbound starship, the Ark. Perched within Mount St. Hilary, deep in Oregon's mountainous range, they had again spent most of their day continuing their efforts to repair the Ark which was so badly damaged when it had crash-landed on Earth. Weary of their labors, they were now passing time watching television being broadcast from Earth stations. They found that (laughs) studying TV programs, particularly news and feature items, helped them to have a deeper insight into the thoughts and mannerisms of the inhabitants of this planet, where they were bound until they could repair and fuel the Ark and return to their own planet of Cybertron. Jazz, in particular, was a TV addict. But then Jazz liked everything to do with Earth, and some Autobots wondered if Jazz really wanted to return to Cybertron, or if he would prefer to stay here. Suddenly an item came on the screen which particularly attracted their attention. A picture was shown of a small town, a town of perhaps 10,000 inhabitants. Somewhere its in streets were almost empty except for a few elderly people and children. They all looked in a state of shock. The newscaster was speaking over the pictures. And so the mystery of the disappearing population of this small town continues. Every able-bodied man and woman have completely vanished overnight. Even the police have gone. The state governor has ordered an immediate investigation. But so far, only the most garbled and unclear explanations are forthcoming from those inhabitants still there. Then on the screen, the fascinated Autobots saw six elderly people being interviewed. One man was saying, I can't understand it. I must have been dreaming. I looked out of my bedroom window and... The main street seemed to be full of huge, robot-like creatures. And in the sky, two aircraft were screaming in. 
I don't know where they landed. I thought I was going crazy. I went back to bed pretty quick. The TV camera moved to show another, a lady in her late sixties. I saw the same thing, she said. But these robot creatures were going into the houses and dragging people out. She was interrupted by a distinguished-looking man. Yes, and I saw Captain Osgood, our police chief, shoot at these creatures. But his bullets just bounced off them like hailstones on a window. I shall never forget it. Inside the ark, the Autobots were quiet. Their leader, Optimus Prime, turned the sound down so only the picture remained on the screen, still showing scenes of deserted streets and houses. Then Optimus Prime said quietly, "Are you all thinking what I'm thinking?" <laughs> Sideswipe echoed the thoughts of them all. "Decepticons," he said. "Exactly," Optimus Prime said almost sadly. "But why?" "Ransom?" asked Seaspray. "Shouldn't think so," the leader responded. "Ransom for what?" And in any case, if it were a ransom, they would have announced their terms by now. Megatron never wastes much time when he is up to some nasty trick. Windcharger, always impatient, demanded, "All right, what are we going to do about it? Go straight away and attack their fortress. We require action, not talk." It was Sideswipe who always relished a battle. Discussion broke up Blood between、lust. the Autobots, each one of them with some idea of how to deal with the situation. After a few moments, Optimus Prime said. Quiet, all of you! Immediately they obeyed his command. Silence reigned within the ark. Optimus continued, knowing the ruthless cunning of the Decepticons, their motives might be anything. Only be sure it will suit their own cause. If we attack their fortress, as Sideswipe suggests, we could destroy the Earth people as well, because it is certain that the Decepticons have them there. It is useless to take action when we do not know the full situation. Jazz took up the point quickly. We need to know their motive. Optimus Prime nodded in agreement. Just so. And who of all the Autobots is just designed for this assignment? Before any Autobot could reply, a voice said, "I am, and you all know it." It was Bumblebee, small but eager. You know my motto: the least likely to be the most dangerous. All the Autobots knew that Bumblebee was right. He was the one for this particular mission. His very smallness, linked with his bravery and extraordinary range of vision, not to mention his stealth and keenness, made it obvious. Optimus Prime addressed them all. Anyone disagree with Bumblebee? He inquired. There was a murmur. Then Sunstreak said, "No, Optimus. Bumblebee is the only choice." Only Huffer grumbled. I suppose we all have to sit around here waiting while he gets all the action. The Autobots were amused. They were used to Huffer's. Why is he here、robes. again? It might be more action than he bargains for. Gears said quietly. And so it was decided that Bumblebee would set off straight away, get as near to the Decepticon fortress as possible without being detected, find out what was going on, and report back. Of course, it may not be the Decepticons at all responsible for this. It was Huffer grumbling again. Then we will all be wasting our time. Optimus Prime said firmly. But Huffer, I have no doubts at all. Do you, honestly? Nah, not really. Huffer muttered. It's them, all right. Within a short while, the Autobots had wished Bumblebee the best of luck in his task, and he had transformed and driven off quickly in the direction of the Decepticon fortress. Eventually, after what seemed to him to be an age. He came within sight of the frightening headquarters. 
It would not have been within the sight of any other Ottawat or Earth creature, but Bumblebee's vision was superb. In the distance, he could see that there was some activity, but nothing very exceptional. He had to get closer, close enough to find out what the Decepticons were up to. Soon he was quite near, but could see nothing unusual. With some apprehension, he knew he would have to get inside if he wanted to discover anything. He knew, too, that if he were discovered, he would, without a shadow of a doubt, be destroyed. Silently, he wished that Optimus Prime and Prowl and some of his fellow Autobots were with him now for some protection. But Bumblebee never lacked courage, and prepared to tackle the problem at hand, he transformed, and with all his skills of stealth, he got within earshot of the fortress entrance. He could hear Megatron giving some orders. One of the Decepticons came through the huge main door, obviously on a guard patrol. Bumblebee was relieved to see it was Skywarp. Bumblebee knew he was one of the most unpleasant of all the Decepticons, but also one of the stupidest. <laughs> and true enough, Skywarp lived up to his reputation and left the main door... Poor Skywarp! Without counting the cost oh. of the danger, Bumblebee was inside within a flash. He hid behind a large computer unit in a corner near the door, and he was completely unnoticed. He had never been inside this terrifying fortress before. Nobody has cameras in fact, here. no Autobot had. He cautiously looked around, and immediately recognized a number of well-known Decepticon characters. Soundwave, Megatron, Starscream, Laserbeak, Ravage, and others. He stayed completely motionless, knowing Soundwave's ability to hear the slightest sound. It was said of Soundwave that he could hear a fly sneeze. <laughs> then Bumblebee noted something which jolted him in every nut and bolt. Dozens and dozens of Earth people were working at all sorts of tasks. Yes, who would Some have thought? cleaning the floor, painting walls, fetching and carrying, and even polishing and cleaning Decepticons themselves. And the mean, unpleasant voice of Rumble and others were shouting orders at them. Bumblebee was shocked. He knew now where the able-bodied inhabitants of that small town were, and he knew why the Decepticons had them. Slaves. The Decepticons were using these Earth people as slaves, and what's more, they were enjoying being masters over these people who were powerless to defend themselves. Bumblebee knew he had to get back to Mount St. Hillary and report to the Autobots. He knew, too, what their reaction would be. But first he had to escape without being caught. He crept by the computer, then realized it was not an ordinary computer. It was a vital piece of equipment which the Decepticons had salvaged from their landing on Earth all those years ago. The Autobots had similar equipment themselves. It was a computer which controlled molecular motion, whereby the visitors from Cybertron were able to adapt to the conditions of temperature and moisture on Earth. Without the computer working accurately, they would ultimately slowly perish through their inability to equate with the Earth's environment. <laughs> Almost every Autobot and Decepticon had a working knowledge of this important item, as an essential part of their life training. Bumblebee knew that one of the most important components was the central global crystal, which controlled the actual computation element. Without it, everything would slowly come to a halt. Bumblebee decided to act. There were no Decepticons watching the computer. After all, why should they? It stood there safe inside the fortress, just ticking away quietly in its allotted place. Bumblebee moved a panel in the side of the computer. His very smallness allowed him to slip underneath the complicated series of transistors and connections. He was terrified, but determined. He slowly reached the area where the control global crystal was set. 
he swiftly turned it in an anti-clockwise direction. His relief was intense when he felt it move. It was identical housing to that on the Autobot computer. He turned it completely six times, clutched it, held it, then, silently using all his stealth, he backed away and was again outside of the computer, deep in the shadows. He knew the computer would continue without the central global crystal element for up to twenty-eight days, so there was no difference to its tone or action. Bumblebee could see the Earth people still working. Judging the numbers that were working, it was obvious the Decepticons had them working in shifts. Some must be resting before starting their menial tasks in the ghastly confines of the fortress. Bumblebee edged towards the great door. All the Decepticons seemed engrossed. Suddenly, Skywarp came to the door, obviously annoyed at the one being ordered to stay outside. He opened the door widely and called to Megatron. Megatron, can't you send somebody else outside to guard the place? Bumblebee acted immediately. He saw the opportunity probably the only opportunity he would ever have to get out of the Decepticon fortress. He transformed, and at top speed, drove straight at the space where Skywarp had left the main door open. He was through it before any of the Decepticons knew what was happening, but the high roar of his engine being revved to almost a scream galvanized them into action. Megatron roared, Get him, Decepticons! Get him! While Bumblebee drove off to return to the Autobots, every Decepticon transformed ready to stop him. Skywarp, anxious to atone for his carelessness, roared off at over a thousand miles per hour. Starscream soared high into the air, the better to fire at the escaping Bumblebee. Megatron ordered every Decepticon to search and find the escaping Autobot. But they were unsuccessful. The stealthy Bumblebee, small, highly skilled, managed to avoid them. His ability to go underwater helped him when he hid in the depths of a large inland lake. Eventually, the Decepticons called off the search. And after a disciplinary action against Skywarp, Megatron said, It doesn't matter much. The Autobot is insignificant. Can't do any harm. But if it was Starscream, he'd get a punch in the face. Back at Mount Saint yeah, this is terrible. Where he received terrible a ideas. hero's welcome. But after he had reported everything he had seen at the Decepticon headquarters, the Autobots were silent and thoughtful. Optimus Prime almost sadly asked, So, what can we do to obtain the release of these Earth people? We cannot allow the Decepticons to succeed, or they will dominate the whole of the Earth as they try to do on our planet. And Jazz, normally the relaxed Autobot, sounded anxious. If we try a frontal attack, we will kill the Earth people. If we don't, then the Earth people will die from their cruelty. The Decepticons will take more and more. He broke off sadly. Everyone knew that Jazz liked Earth and its people. There was a silence eventually broken by Bumblebee, who said, Oh, I forgot to tell you. I managed to get hold of this. And he held up the global crystal he had taken from the Decepticon's computer. The Autobots could hardly believe it. Of course, they recognized it immediately, and Bumblebee was surrounded by admiring Autobots. He felt very proud of himself indeed. Optimus Prime said, Bumblebee, there is no need for us to tell you how much we admire your courage and initiative. Now we must take advantage of it. Immediately, radio control was made with the Decepticon headquarters. Optimus Prime spoke on a direct line to Megatron. Megatron, it is I, Optimus Prime, leader of the Autobots from Cybertron, the planet from whence we all came. I command you to release the Earth people you have taken as slave prisoners in your fortress. 
Megatron laughed in derision. You demand that I, leader of the Decepticons, release my slaves? I always suspected you of stupidity, Prime, but now I am sure of it. Every Decepticon joined in the derision. When they were quiet, Optimus Prime repeated, I demand that you release the Earth people, otherwise you will be punished. Megatron could hardly believe what he was hearing. Punished? Punished by whom? By us, the Autobots, Optimus said with menace. Not only are you stupid, you are crazy, Megatron sneered. You have no way of punishing us. If you attack our fortress, we shall destroy every one of you. Oh, yes, and the slaves, too. So be quiet, you stupid Earth lover, before we kill off a few slaves just for our own amusement. Optimus replied in a voice like ice. If you do not do exactly as we command, you will all perish. And if you do not believe me, just look at your control computer and see if the global crystal is working. There was a short silence. Then the Autobots could hear the voice of Soundwave almost panicking. It's gone. It's gone. The crystal's gone. Then they heard the sounds of anxious conversation. They knew the Decepticons were desperate. Optimus Prime spoke over the intercom. Is the crystal working, Megatron? Megatron's voice came back, more anxious now. Where is it? We will destroy you for this, Optimus Prime. Then Optimus Prime's tone changed. Listen to me, Megatron, and all you Decepticons. These are our terms, and we brook no argument. Do you understand? Release every single Earth person you have. Release them unharmed. Escort them back to their own native town in the same manner in which you took them. We give you 24 hours. If you have not done as we command, your control crystal will be completely and utterly destroyed. And you know what will happen then. You will all slowly perish within the next few weeks. Do you agree to our terms, Decepticons? There was a pause. Megatron's voice, subdued and quiet, said, We agree. Optimus Prime said, When the Earth people are safe and sound, every single one of them, we will return your control crystal. After a pause, Megatron's voice, disconsolate now, said, Agreed. How do we know we can trust you? Optimus Prime's voice was harsh. We are the Autobots. You know you can trust us. That is the difference between Decepticons and Autobots. You are deceptive and dishonorable. We always keep our word. A few hours later, television stations throughout the world were transmitting stories of the return of the missing people, people who could only vaguely tell of their experience, because the Decepticons, with their supersonic technique, had obliterated their memories. And, true to their word, mm -hmm. the Autobots returned the control crystal to the Decepticons. But they all agreed they could never have achieved their objective if it were not for the stealth and courage of Bumblebee. Wow. I just, I don't know what to say after that story. Whoa. Oh. 
Oh, this is side B of the story. So we might get some credits, man. Or I'm just going to be disappointed like I was with this story. Yep. Disappointment. <laughs> Disappointment. Hey, kids. Do you want to watch a story that does not involve any action or fighting of any kind, but just some guy running, racing, yeah, this was kind and of... then beating someone through the magic of talking? <laughs> uh... <laughs> this might be the worst story we have had on this podcast. It uh... was real bad. It, yeah, yeah, I thought it was actually pretty dumb. I didn't care much for it at all. If if, if it's not the worst, it, it's at least the most boring of all of them. There was never any threat. There was never any drama. There's never any action. The scenes dragged on forever. Yeah. Oh, I, I feel like I just got to buy my wife a good fancy dinner now for having her sit down there and man the station down there for the audio. For having to just suffer to listen to any of that. <laughs> yeah. At least the narrator. The narrator sounded good. Other than when he tried to do voices. But like his narrator voice was nice. You know his Huffer voice is nice. It actually sounds like a little light gears from the cartoon. But it, but mm-hmm. but better. Something you don't want to punch every time you hear him. So. Uh, so he was mentioning names of Autobots early on. Mm-hmm. Did I hear correctly? Did he say Sea Spray? Is this yes. the first time that character has been in anything we've covered? Yeah, he doesn't show up till season two. Well, this is a 1985, so I don't know when this was released, but most likely in between seasons or in during season two. Who knows? All we know is the year of release. So I'm going to guess he's some kind of boat character. Wow. What made you think of that, Thomas? <laughs> what was one of those things that you uh thought was co- cool when you were a kid those little you know those boats that run on land that also run on water oh hover boats yes remember how when you're a kid and you think those are the coolest thing ever yeah. well sea spray is what you do when you want to convince someone they're not cool <laughs> <laughs> it's like we could take the, that the design and make it hideous also, oh. he talks like with a blubbering voice to indicate he's of the flirty. Oh my god. That so it's really hard cool. to understand him. And yes, he even has an episode to himself, which you will want to like strangle yourself every time he talks more than a few words. That sounds terrible. That sounds real dumb. Not as dumb as uh the episode he's in where he turns into a human for love, so Is this the first time <laughs> that they also named I guess the mountain that the Autobot base is under? Well, they've always called it St. Hillary. I can't remember if any of the books, they've called it St. Hillary a few times. But I don't think I've ever remembered them saying it's in the Arvin's Mountain Range. I don't even know if that's a real mountain location. <laughs> now it is. What did you guys think of the theme music that it opens with every time? That boom, 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 boom. Like, want to cut yourself? Want to keep listening? Think it's just mildly okay? I think it's fine. Mm-hmm. I didn't see anything wrong with it. <laughs> I'm really into like just all types, all types of quality when it comes to, to 80s music. So initially I'm like, all right, yeah, this is this is going to be good. But then it goes like like the episode, it goes on and it drags on for a while. Like it seemed like it was the episode was getting ready to start. But then the music just keeps going with like some new bits. <laughs> 
And at the end, it looked like they tried to make a little bit of a remix of it. Oh, yeah, like they were going to... They tried their yeah. best. Yeah. I mean, it, it does sound like it kind of fits with what you would kind of hear on on the TV show. So I, I don't have that many complaints about it. More yeah. just how it's used. What did you think of another human trying to shoot the Decepticons with bullets, Thomas? Of all the stuff we've, we've watched and listened to, uh, I think that that cop's reaction was actually the most logical. <laughs> uh, you know, you've got giant robots going door to door, kidnapping and rounding people up. I mean, the cops got to do something. That was a justified action. I'm sure he, I'm sure this all didn't just start because a cop one day decided that like, I'm going to shoot those Trent, those, those Decepticons. I'm going to take them down myself just because they look like some <laughs> alien creatures or something. I think that what the cop was doing, that's definitely logical and a huge justification, you know, with the Decepticons going door to door, door to door, just rounding people up. Uh, that's a lot different than like the construction workers from the first episode to seeing, hey, there's giant robots. Let's just immediately throw all our tools at them and just try to destroy them. <laughs> so one thing I thought was hilarious, I feel like I needed to mention this one first. They said that, so this is new to the lore. The Transformers cannot survive on Earth without a computer that's powered by a crystal, the the crystal of which is a battery and calculating device plugged into another computer for some reason. And that does something to help the Transformers live on Earth without dying. Is it like transmitting to them data? Is it yeah. like helping them <laughs> breathe or somehow adapt their bodies to the to the mud to the to every the weird time they go back to base? They just get some radiation that produces some kind of coating before they go yeah. back out into the Earth's climate. Is it like a temporary force field to block out all that disgusting human germs? But anyway, my main thing was why didn't Optimus just be like, "Yes, with this, all we have to do now is wait twenty eight days, and then the Decepticons." will die yeah (laughs) that that i yeah that's one of the other things i was thinking about where just the whole climax it just seemed so stupid from both sides you have their crystal the war is over you won just hold on to the crystal or the decepticons they could have just been like okay once optimus started making those demands they could have just been like give it back or we'll murder these humans uh, and I really think they would have just won that argument. There's no way Optimus. Oh God, would've... that's right. That would have totally worked. There's no way Optimus would have been bluffing with those human lives. Yeah, all they would have done is take one life, and bam, the crystal's back in his hands. <laughs> or even threatened it because you know he has to protect all life, so he would have to give in. But still, I don't know see why he told him in the first place. Just be like, eh, we'll let them be slaves for another 28 days, and then we win. I guess I can't blame them too much for bringing it up because they did mention that like the Decepticons were working the humans hard. Eventually people were going to start dying because they were just being worked around the clock and stuff like that. So if he waited 28 days, then probably a lot of people would have suffered. Yeah. You know, it's also really hard writing Transformers stories, apparently. Oh, I'm such a jerk. Bumblebee is able to go faster than jets, apparently. And then he can also go underwater, which apparently no one else can do, I guess. Bumblebee is just a special robot. I do like how once he's accomplished his mission, he's just like, well, mission's accomplished. Don't need stealth no more. Oh, they all heard me. I don't know how that happened. 
I mean, that's what I do in all those stealth video games, so I don't blame him. It's like, oh, you retrieve the device, and then so you're like, well, stealth doesn't matter anymore. Just jump out the window, shoot everything, and beeline to the exit, right? I mean, if yep. it wasn't for that, what other excitement would have been in this episode? <laughs> None whatsoever. Is he typically regarded as an Autobot with, like, long-range vision as a specialty? Oh, did it mention long-range vision? Yeah, they were saying that he has better vision than the, all the other Autobots. They said where he was standing, he could see the Decepticon base, but no other Autobot would be able to. This is most likely from his bios on the back of his figure. And remember where we had that coloring book where we had the Bumblebee with the googly telescope eyes because they didn't have any art to work with, just the description? Oh, you yeah. found some logic. <laughs> uh, Skywarp, that, the, the funniest thing was probably the line about Skywarp and the line Megatron said to Optimus, where he's just like, Skywarp, the ruthless and the most stupidest Decepticon. <laughs> Okay, so that line, though, reminded me of, I believe it's War of Cybertron. It's one of the of Cybertron games for the PlayStation where you're playing as the Seekers or Starscream and your Seekers are with you, whatever. And there's a point where Skywarp is like, I'll show you, stupid. And Starscream's like, you always do. <laughs> I'm just like, this is <laughs> good. Glad that Skywarp is, I guess, canonically stupid. It also sounded like that was the only time the narrator emoted was to describe him as stupid. <laughs> and then he was like, whoa, emotions got to get checked in again. Back to monotone narrator. Worth it. <laughs> his, his true feelings were shining through, kind of like how, like, I, I don't have any problem. What's it? Oh, I forget the name of the guy. That, the one Autobot that I just don't like at all. <laughs> Huffer? Gears? You hate Huffer. I don't have a problem with him. Yeah, Huffer Gears, and then you hate, is it Ironhide? The one that's always, like, disobeying orders and getting everyone else in trouble? Well, at this point, there's, like, five that are doing that. Like, even in this cassette, they were acting like that. Well, they were just saying we should attack them now. Except for Jazz, who's like, but the humans. <laughs> Jazz sounds like, like they were trying to make him, like, sort of like a pacifist or something, but they didn't really yeah. delve into that enough. Other than to be like, look, he's got emotion. On with the story. Where he's irrelevant. Yeah, it, it really seemed like they his character was changed significantly in this episode. Though I did think it was funny. I did hear him call Sunstreak-er without the Sunstreak. I mean, without the er. He just called him Sunstreak. So we'll probably have one era slip up per audio cassette to look forward to. Aw, oh, yeah, errors. I do like the, aw, oh, it is I, Optimus, from your planet, who, you know, has fought you for millions of years and is the leader <laughs> of the opposing force of Transformers. That opposes you, Decepticons. <laughs> it's like it's like oh. okay, Mister Captain Exposition. Yeah, that was that was funny. The, I think I did laugh twice, but that was just because of how stupid the Skywarp in this one was. What do you guys think of this story? Then, what are your final thoughts? Because that was it. That's my notes, and I, and I'm done. I'm like. I'm ready to like move on to something better because that was the mo the worst story we've had on this podcast. Yeah, my my final thoughts are pretty much the same as my initial thoughts. That was really dumb. Are we ready to listen to Bumblebee to the rescue? There's another one. We know we we got on here to record it, right? <laughs> I quit. <laughs> like it's I'm already forgetting it already. Anyway, Sammy, final thoughts. It sucked. <laughs> 
<laughs> Skywarp, stupid. Yay. Uh. Yeah, that about sums it up. Collective shrug. Yeah. So we know Thomas is already gone because he's done with this too. So <laughs> anyway, so so hopefully we haven't bored you all enough and that you'll join us for the next episode of SparkCast. So signing out, it's me, Sean. Sammy Scream. Scram. Scammy Sammy Warp. Hold up. There we go. And Thomas. Together we are. Spark Cast. <laughs>